Hey, thanks for listening to our Life Church Utah podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are located here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. So we're going to actually jump right in. I don't have any uh, kind of pre-comments or things like that we're going to dive in. We have a lot to cover this morning, and so, uh, yeah, so listen well, listen quickly, because again, we've got a lot. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. And again, if you've got your smart devices, get those things out, take notes, whatever you need to do, um, because we need to know the word of the Lord for ourselves. And uh, don't just take my word for it. I want you to be studying and digging in uh, yourself. So, um, so we come now to a difficult passage of Scripture. Now, it's not difficult because the Scripture is unclear, but it's difficult because it is at odds with the culture around us. Um, there is a clarity that the word brings to us that's going to be very helpful as we navigate through uh, what we're going to be talking about today and what Paul is writing to this church in, uh, in the city of Rome. Um, but it's difficult because in the world around us, there is a determination, it seems like, um, to create a truth that might not be true. Um, to create a truth and, a, and, and uh, choices that will lead not to life, but will lead to death, as the Bible says, all right? And so we're going to dig through this. Um, Paul pulls no punches in his conclusion from the previous verses just before what we're going to be talking about today. And last week, we discovered exchanges and consequences of those exchanges, ultimately leading to idolatry, the exchange of truth for a lie is the outflow of human desire, that we want to set our beliefs so that we can then be justified in the actions and the life that we choose versus having the correct belief that the Bible reveals for us. And then out of that correct belief through faith, we act and discover more of who God is. In this passage, Paul reveals the outcome in no uncertain terms. And so I'm reading this in its entirety. The, the next passage here, it's a little bit long. It's like six or seven verses. But I want to read all of them together in context because sometimes it's easy um, to just kind of cherry pick uh, certain verses to make it say what you want it to say. Um, so we're going to dig into this as a, uh, as a full passage here. Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 26. And remember, this is leading directly from what Paul, what we, what we talked about last week. And this is what Paul said last week to end, um, end in our message. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then he goes on, he says this in verse 26 of Romans. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, 
insolent, arrogant, boastful, contriver, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless, although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. There is a lot there. And as we read through this, I think we sense and feel, at least I do, the heaviness of what I just read from the Word of God. Because the world around us contradicts this. That what was just read here flies in the face of what is now called wisdom and what is now accepted in whole cloth uh, in our world around us today. And in fact, it's not just accepted, but it is pushed. And it's desired. And it's celebrated. This morning, I won't be able to exhaustively answer every question that arises out of this passage. I think you understand that and are aware of it in our 30 minutes, roughly, that we have uh, this morning. There's just no way to cover everything that is in here. But what I am hopeful is that there are some principles in here that as we get to the end of the message this morning, that it will shape how we respond to what we have just read. Because there's a couple of ways we could respond to this. We could respond to this with pointed fingers and say, look how bad it is. Or, could we, or we could respond very, very differently. So what does the Bible say about sexuality? What does the Bible say about sex? What does the Bible say about gender? And what does Jesus say about all of this? Right, one of our core things for Life Church is if we want to be made, in essence, we want to be more like Jesus, right? We, we want to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus, but that means that we ourselves need to be more like Jesus. So what does Jesus say about this whole subject? So, gender and sex in the beginning, right? We, we've got to go back to the beginning, and, and I'll explain why in just a moment. Our culture today has embraced a reality that is confusing to say the least, from our own National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Health, there's an article that was written um, a couple of years ago, actually three years ago, and it says, "Thus, if one adds up these forms, and talking about biology, if one uh, adds up these forms, the outcome is that in humans there are about 15 readily observable gender forms." It's from our own National Institutes of Health. Other experts point to up to 72 identifiable genders. 72 identifiable genders. For some, gender is a spectrum, which means by logical conclusion that you can choose whatever gender you would like to be, and so there is an infinite number of genders that are available for us because I get to choose what my gender is. And in this conversation is also the idea of biological sex, right? So, um, so sex is biological as opposed to gender, which according to a growing number of experts is uh, feeling or is an expression of what is inside of us, that we can then kind of mold that differently. 
The confusion that results is having a deep impact upon our world. Not just America, not just Europe, right? Uh, But everywhere in our world, especially among our children and our teens, especially there. And I think there is a heart that, um, man, well, my heart breaks to see the confusion that adults have that then flow down into children and, or flow down into their own children when we don't have anything to stand on that says this is right and this is wrong. The pressure to explore new realities is only becoming more intense as social media takes over the normal life of teens and children. There's a celebration that happens in parents. Please be aware of what your children are watching, what they are bringing into their lives on social media. Please be aware of it. Um, Without (laughs) being too strong on this, but maybe I will be, uh, it is very evil what much... Uh, much of what our children can be exposed to at a very, very young age. When I was growing up, uh, child of the 80s, right? When I was growing up, uh, the first exposure to pornography was probably was around the age of like 12, I believe. In today's world, I believe it's around the age of seven. Seven. As a 12-year-old, I know I was not ready. <laughs> Well, as a 51-year-old, that is not appropriate, right? But at the age of 12, there is no emotional awareness or ability to handle that. At the age of seven, it's destructive. Parents, be aware of the messages that your children are receiving, not only from social media when you're unaware, but honestly from some schools, schools of thought, from friends that are teaching something very different to their own children, Right? Please, parents, be careful. Um, and it's being normalized in our world when it comes to all of these things. Um, we see the challenges and often don't know how to respond. There is fear associated with being countercultural. In some places, teens can have protection from parents as teens make decisions that they're not ready to make in their own life. And schools and counselors, and I saw this in Illinois, schools and counselors celebrate the choice of a child to come out and then the parents are not informed at all of this decision and in fact it's celebrated at school and parents have no idea what's going on in the lives of their kids. Can one change their sex, their gender, their identity? Can an operation fix someone? There's confusion. So what are we to do? We're not going to solve it this morning, right? This is a major cultural revolution that's happening and not a good cultural revolution. We're not going to solve it this morning. But I think it's super important to understand, or actually there's an answer to this question, did Jesus address gender and sexuality? Did Jesus address homosexuality? Did he address things that were in the Roman culture, something that was very visible, something that was not unknown in the Roman culture, just like it is not unknown in our world today? So much of this, much of our understanding of this depends on our uh, grasping and understanding of the purpose of the Bible. 
So is the word of God authoritative for us to help us understand what is right and wrong, or is the Bible simply a book that is also numbered among other books and other knowledge that we should just take into consideration? Is it there as authority, or is it there as just another resource that we can pull from? Right, we talked a number of weeks ago about having a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview would take the Bible and say, this is authoritative for me. But there are so many in the world around us for which the Bible is just another book. It's just something else to add to the, uh, to the compendium of ideas that are out there. But what did Jesus think about his Bible, which would have been the Old Testament, right? That would have been his Bible. Jesus took very, very seriously the authority of Scripture, and for himself, again, that was the Old Testament. The stories, the principles, the belief, the embrace of the truths revealed in the Bible as he knew to be the final word on such things as what we're talking about today. Now, one such story and authority is that of creation. In Matthew 19, when confronted by religious leaders on the subject of divorce, right, this is what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, beginning of verse 4. He answered, have you not read that from the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus here is referring to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And there's a description there of, create, of the creation of humanity, and it's very clear. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, right? This is where Jesus is quoting, but I want to read in its entirety here what Jesus was alluding to. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures, creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then filling in the details of Ben in Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife and they become a new family or they become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. So in there again, there's a lot. And in creation, God said, let us make mankind in my image, in the image of God. And that image somehow is revealed in us as humanity made male and female. There's a duality. So this duality means something truly remarkable about being human. The male represents the image of God in his unique way, and the female represents the image of God in her unique way. Neither can do that for the other. And then Genesis 1.28, God calls them to their first task, to come together as husband and wife and begin a family, bringing forth new eternal God-imagers. They are made for this by God's design, and more importantly, his delights. And that's a quote from a book called Loving My Neighbor, Loving My LGBT neighbor. So, male and female, marriage, one man, 
one woman. The Bible is absolutely clear about this. There is no ambiguity about how God views sexuality and gender. There's none. Now, this flies in the face of our culture. Does this mean that we write everybody off who doesn't believe this? Because that, in essence, becomes the larger question in the context of who we are as people redeemed by Christ. So in Jesus, does he say um, what his, his sexual, you know, ethics on sexuality? Um, and again, quoting from, uh, from the book, Loving My LGBT Neighbor. To that question, we have to say that Jesus does indeed say something about homosexuality. In his, haven't you heard from the beginning statement we saw above in Matthew 19, it is here that he clearly and strongly affirms the truth and authority of the original creation narratives that say Male and female are the two types of God imagers in the world and that he made them for each other to be a fuller image of God in their union as he tells us that it's not good that they be alone. And this is the only sexual relationship that God has given to mankind with both his delights and approval. And this is precisely what Jesus was saying in reference or in referring us to the truths taught in Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible is clear. And so something happens to us when we are not clear. When we try to couch the terms, and I've been very guilty of this, trying to couch in easy to imbibe terms, but there is clarity here in the word of God for us that we can stand on. So Jesus, gives, uh, Jesus endorses and gives no caveat or room for other expressions. So the creation story to Jesus is authoritative and final, and it is for us as well. Any embrace of sexuality outside of this is not God's design nor desire for us as his creation. So what are we to do? Because we know in our world around us that gender, that this is a topic of conversation, that homosexuality is certainly something that the world around us embraces and recognizes as valid. We know that homosexuality is a real thing in our world today. Its influence upon politics, upon families, education is only growing. How are we to handle what Paul just wrote about and the reality that it is against God's design and desire for human expression? To speak against it is to be canceled, but we cannot embrace it as right and acceptable. Paul describes it as a dishonorable sin, as an exchange from what is natural. It's what the Bible reveals. But we need to keep in mind the larger context of the letter to the Romans. Paul is writing this not only to encourage the church, but also as a corrective to, embrace, to the embrace of culture over biblical truths. And we see this happening within churches around us, and it's super easy to do when we embrace cultural truth over biblical truth. So he's in the middle of a much larger argument about humanity, and ultimately the answer to this 
conclusion. If we stop here in those first two verses that I read um, back, back a little while ago, dealing with homosexuality and lesbianism in particular, if we stop there, we might come to a wrong conclusion. And the church has done this all too easily. And the church has lost the argument because of the way that those verses have been practically lived out by believers in so many different ways. Because the finger has pointed to a group of people that have made decisions in their life to embrace something that we would look at and say it's wrong. We pointed a finger and say, in essence, the life you are in, God hates you. I've heard that phrase. I'm sure we all have. That somehow those who are in that first initial list that Paul gives are irredeemable and beyond the grace of the cross that we sang about a lot this morning. So we have lost the battle in many ways of the church. We have seen hate-filled, loveless, judgmental statements by the church. We have shunned and pushed away an entire group of people as if they are irredeemable, as if the message of Jesus is unable to reach them. And as we read further in Romans after Paul's initial thoughts and as a reminder of what we've already read, this is what Paul goes on. So after that statement about homosexuality, he then goes on and he says, they're filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice, rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless, quite a list. This final list that's given is primarily dealing with sins committed against others. Right? That's really what Paul is getting to in this. That the sin against God has already been made through the idolatry and the choices made that when you worship the wrong thing, or in this case, obviously, worship the wrong God, right? When you worship what is other than God, it gives to self. All of a sudden, self becomes the center of the universe, and now my desires, out of that belief that myself <laughs> makes a determination, now my actions are wrong. But when you put God in the right place, out of that belief, our actions, based on the Word of God, uh, that, or that becomes, from the Word of God, the, the force of our actions. This is the completion of idolatry so that one is blinded, deaf, deafened, muted to the actual needs of the world around us. And so sin against the other is where Paul is like, this is where it all leads. It all leads to the destruction of humanity. All of this. It's easy to point fingers at those who live like this. Homosexuality is a sin carries with it baggage that appears to make it worse than others and one can seem to be justified to write them off but it's a sin like many others it carries consequences like any other 
sin of gluttony, what are the consequences? Sin of envy. Sin of hatred. There are consequences for all of these. Faith faith that this lifestyle or choice to turn towards myself will lead to behaviors that are satisfying to myself. Sin is the action of disobedience, not the temptation. Right? Sin is the action of disobedience, not the temptation. Regardless of biology, regardless of tendencies that we may have, regardless of how we are wired, we are still responsible. I look at my own life and I uh, see this, the sins of my father, right? He was alcoholic. There was within him a, a wiring that led him, I believe, to that desire that was for him, uh, a difficulty in his life. I feel that I'm wired the same way. And that if that tendency within me, if I were to give in to that tendency, I would be right down that road, but for the grace of God in my life. The adulterer, the serial adulterer, right? I just have these desires in me that cannot be quenched. What does that say about God? That God's incapable? That God's unable? That the cross is not enough? That forgiveness from Jesus is not enough? The adulterer responsible for their actions. The liar for their actions. The homosexual for their actions. And this is the final exchange, right? This is where Paul goes. He goes to this final exchange that happens there in Romans. That, that uh, there, there's an exchange that leads to idolatry, this exchange that leads to worship of created things rather than the creator, this exchange that happens between right relationship between his creation. And God gives them over. It says several times, about five or six times, that God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over by choice to these decisions that they're making. But remember that we are all sinners, every one of us. None of us exempt from the consequences of the sins that we have committed, except for the grace of God. And so I think this is also vital for us to understand. In ran across this passage, Romans, I'm sorry, in the, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. I'm going to end today with this passage because um, I think it is incredibly important for us to grasp this final passage here in Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 and if you've got your Bibles, you've got a physical one highlight this, circle it, whatever you need to do, if you've got your digital one highlight this thing, okay, because this is going to be very helpful for us 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, beginning there it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? do not be deceived the sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, the swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty tough list as well. Very strongly worded. 
notice in there that homosexuality is put side by side with adultery, put side by side with idolaters, side by side with verbally abusive. Right? The, the, Paul is not calling it out any differently than these sins that he is listing there. Yet we have reserved it for some reason within, our, within the church at large that, that this one area is something that, man, is worse than every other. And Paul does not make that distinction here, but he puts alongside of here other sexual sins. And he goes on, greedy, drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers. Unless we think that this is outside of the church, what does Paul go on to say? And honestly, folks, this to me is the heart that we have to have. He says in verse 11, some of you once lived this way. What he's implying there is in the church at Corinth is that within the church at Corinth where the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the greedy, the drunkards, the thieves, verbally abusive swindlers, that within the church are those who were like that, whose lifestyle embraced all the things that the culture lifted up, whose lifestyle embraced everything that the culture of the time in Rome said, this is the way you get ahead. This is the way that you live your life. This is the right way to live. And Paul says, no, it is not. And he says, such were some of you, or some of you lived this way. And this is that final exchange, but it says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So folks, outside of this church are those who live that way. Inside of this church are those who lived that way. But we are all imperfect, folks. There are within us areas and strongholds and difficulties in our life that we can't seem to get over, right? There, there are those within Life Church Utah that struggle with same-sex attraction. There are those within Life Church Utah who struggle with adultery, struggle with lying, struggle with drunkenness, struggle with greed, right? This is the family of God imperfect in all of its ways. And yet one by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so folks, please let us never point the finger at those outside of the church and say, you are broken beyond repair. Because just like Paul, we can say, some of, some of us once lived this way. This is that final exchange. And as humanity, we're exchanging truth for a lie, God for idols, natural for unnatural, but Jesus gave himself in the final exchange for us, for us to experience true life, redeemed, righteous. Not because of what we have done, not because we've earned anything that others haven't, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So what is our responsibility? Our responsibility as believers is to lead with love, right? 
that, that, that's the bottom line for us is to lead with love. Now, we do not do that perfectly, <laughs> right? There, there are times we mess up. There are times we get so frustrated with the culture around us that we don't lead with love. <laughs> but I believe as followers of Christ, we must, with everything within us, lead with love. Yeah, and leading with love is going to require us to make a distinction between right and wrong. And remember, it's not our opinion. This isn't just a good idea. All of this is based upon the word of God. And we're not pointing out a particular group of people as somehow um, justify, justifiably uh, able to receive some sort of greater punishment, right? That's not it at all. But it's us to lead humbly with love. And the reason for this is that we all seek freedom from the sin that entangles our lives, no matter what form it takes. We recognize that, uh, but for the grace of God, there I go. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Um, closing in prayer this morning, I want us to recognize that this battle that some, I'm going to say, among us and certainly others that are outside of the church, that these battles that we face are very real. Whether it is with life-controlling addictions, whether, whether it is uh, through homosexual expression, whether it is through the struggles that we seem to continually have within our marriages, right? Whether it is a, a just like, man, we tend towards lying every step of the way, right? What, whatever that is, we'd be able to say, Jesus, at the foot of the cross, I find freedom because I am a sinner saved by grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Obviously, we've talked about a lot this morning. It's very much against our culture, but it's very much the truth of the word of God. And so if you are here this morning and, and uh, I hope I've cast a broad enough net when it comes to this next response that you understand uh, what I believe God is asking us to do. But if there is something within your life, regardless of what it is, I mean, we've had these lists today that I have read through a number of times. And there is just a recognition on your part that there is a struggle of a sin that seems to entangle greed, the lying, the homosexuality, the adultery, I mean, whatever that is, and you say, pastor, I just need freedom from that. I just need Jesus to set me free from this that is entangling my life. Very simply, in a moment of, of uh, transparency and really honor for who God is, you would say, yeah, pastor, that's me. There, there's a struggle in my life, and I just need to see victory in my life over that struggle. Can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father God, you see all these hands. God, we stand in this place incomplete in ourselves, but recognizing that our completion in the cross of Jesus Christ and the song that we sang earlier, that it is finished. That God, the struggles that we have, all that they represent for us is another opportunity for the grace of God to be poured out upon us. 
And so God, help us to recognize that in the battles that we face every single day against these things that control our lives, that Lord, this is an opportunity for you to receive glory and honor and praise. Father God, we stand in this place in the understanding that your word is authoritative. That God, your word is what is the final word for our lives and the decisions that we make every day. And so God, help us to take what your word says and its clarity to be able to proclaim this into our culture today and recognizing God that it is not accepted as clear in our culture. And so, Lord, in those moments when we feel attacked, in those moments when we feel canceled, in those moments, God, when we feel that, um, that what we are saying is so against and we are isolated from the world around us, Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us and strengthen us and embolden us, Lord. And I ask God that we would always walk in grace, we would always walk in mercy, and that, Lord, we would lead in the love of Jesus Christ who as a picture of mercy to the woman who was caught in adultery said, I don't condemn you. But then he followed up with go and sin no more. And so God, help us have truth and grace in our lives. And Father, lead us towards wholeness in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen couple things I want to leave you with before you leave, okay? Um, a few books that I have found to be helpful in my own uh, kind of understanding and recognition, and I'm going to uh, put these up there for you. The first one is uh, Loving My LGBT Neighbor by Glenn Stanton. All of these are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you find books, right? Um, become educated and, and get right information, right? Uh, these, these, this book in particular has been very, very helpful in navigating this uh, in my own life. And I quoted a few things out of this book. Uh, please, if you would like a great, uh, great resource, this is a great one. Um, the next one is called Love Thy Body by Nancy Pierce. Uh, Nancy Piercy. Uh, this is uh, much more of um, like a uh, educational book. It's kind of a thick read, if you understand what I mean by that. Um, it's got a lot of resources that are also included in here and uh, highly recommend this. And the last one um, is a book called Messy Grace by Caleb Kaltenbach. Uh, this is a, uh, a very interesting read because, as it says there, it says how a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. A very, very unique perspective on how to walk through this as, uh, as uh, Caleb has done that. And so I really encourage you, if you're able to uh, take advantage of those resources, and we'll post these uh, online as well uh, after, the, uh, after the services today. Um, folks, I believe God has something special for Life Church Utah. And part of that is the way that we express the love of God to the world around us. We don't want to ever compromise, right, in that love of God, but we also... Um, um, want to be able to proclaim the truth in a way that brings people to Christ. And so we are going to continue to do that. And I hope you find that clarity and that strength today in what the word of God says for us. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Don't miss next week because it's the follow-up to this passage. So God bless you guys.